Let us pray. Grant, O Lord, that because we have met together here today, life may grow greater for those who have lost faith in it, simpler for those who are confused by it, more secure for those who would escape it, happier for those who may be tasting the bitterness of it, safer for those who are feeling the peril of it, more friendly for those who are feeling the loneliness of it, and holier for all to whom life may have lost its dignity, its beauty, and its meaning, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. not strong enough to turn the thing on here that makes this lower. Hi. In the epistle to the Romans, Paul writes, whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction so that by steadfastness and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. So what then? Is our hope in the barren wilderness or the burning flames offered by the bearded wild prophet John? I'm going to pause here and say, now wouldn't this have been a phenomenal Sunday for Canon Tim Sean to come in costume? <laughs> Jumping back in. My confession to you. This is the first time that I have ever anticipated and found strength in John the Baptist. I have always felt a bit distant from this wild, bearded prophet. As someone who loves baptisms, I've often felt that perhaps John shouldn't be the one that we associate with baptism. All of this talk of fire and chaff and separating, where is the joy and wonder in all his works that we pray after each baptism? For many reasons, some of them very obvious. I am not an evangelical pastor. But perhaps this is one of the greatest. A literal reading of John the Baptizer's message is one that I cannot get behind. But this year, there's something different, sort of. I still cannot and do not read this message literally, but I do find myself in this season of Advent in a place of absolute wilderness. It's not the pretty kind of wilderness. You know, the one with clearly marked trails and, you know, maybe a satellite phone in case you get lost. But I find myself in a stark wilderness, a stripped-down and bare place where wild dogs roam 
and broods of vipers lay ready to strike. I find myself in a place where I cannot navigate, and only Jesus can. I'm reminded in Matthew's Gospel that the wilderness is not just where John was, but where people flocked to find him. Repent, John says. Wake up, John says. Bear good fruit, John says. This is his message, and this is the message that needs the wilderness. I've been having a lot of conversations lately around security. And while, yes, I have been having many conversations about security here at St. Paul's, you know, broken windows, do we need security cameras? I've actually been having many more discussions around the security of privilege, the security of knowing one's place, and the security of holding power over those who are weaker or less privileged. The kind of security that comes with knowing people in high places. And the kind of security that comes when one maneuvers through life with one's thoughts, words, and deeds unchecked. It's the kind of security that one has when they are at the top of the mountain. When they are at the top of the mountain, by any means necessary, and whose position at the top is held only through keeping those below them in fear. And in light of those conversations, I can't help but think, yeah, the wilderness is where I want to be. When we're on the mountain, it is incredibly difficult to see. The privilege, the power, the illusion of safety that both privilege and power give us even if we aren't on the top of the mountain, being on the mountain in and of itself, it skews, it hides, it makes smooth, it distorts so much. In the wilderness, <laughs> there are no illusions. It is a dangerous place to be. For the power of the wilderness is found in powerlessness. In the wilderness, we have all illusions stripped away, and we can see that mountain for what it is. A mountain stripped bare. In the wilderness, we are stripped bare of any delusion of our grandeur. It's in the wilderness that we can honestly see ourselves. 
that we are ones who are bound by sin. And we can see the mountain. Sin itself. In the wilderness, we meet our need for God. And it is in the wilderness that Jesus meets us and says, I truly see you. And you are worthy. While perhaps not delivered in a way that I would have, John's message to repent, to wake up, to bear good fruit. It is a message that I need, that each of us needs. It is the message that allows us to cease from hurting others. It is the message that allows us to cease from hurting ourselves. It is John's message that enables us to be utterly laid bare before God, to be truly seen, and to know that that which God sees is good. John's message allows us to follow Christ, to be his hands and feet in this truly rough, and wild world. Essayist Demi Tom Debbie Thomas, in an essay in 2019 titled The Voice of One Crying, says this about sin. And I haven't been able to shake it. She says, What is sin, really? Growing up, I was taught that sin is Breaking God's law, or missing the mark as an archer misses his target, or committing immoral acts. These defi definitions aren't necessarily wrong, but they're incomplete. They don't go far enough. They don't name the fullness of what we struggle with. Sin, at its heart, is a refusal to become fully human. Sin is anything that interferes with the opening up of our whole hearts to God, to others, to creation, to ourselves. Sin is estrangement, disconnection, sterility, disharmony. It's the sludge that slows us down. Sin is what tells us to quit. Stop trying. Give up. Change. It's impossible. Sin is apathy, carelessness, a frightened resistance to an engaged life. Sin is the opposite of creativity, the opposite of abundance, the opposite of flourishing. Sin is a walking death. 
and it is easier to spot and name and confess a walking death in the wilderness than it is anywhere else. That is what I want for God to separate from me and from you and from the whole world. It isn't, as we hear in Matthew's Gospel, that some of us are wheat and some of us are chaff. I genuinely think that within us is both. And it is in the wilderness that we can see more clearly that we need Jesus to separate from us all that keeps us from being those walking in death. That winnowing fork, I wonder, is it more like a laser, carefully, with exactness, removing from us all that is within us that is born from fear, from that fear of being cruelly seen? Does it extract from us how we harm and how we flaunt and vault our power and privilege? Does it take from us how we are genuinely and utterly scared and willing to do anything to never have to admit that we are human? Debbie Thomas, at the conclusion of that same essay, says, Unless we're in the wilderness, it's hard to see our privilege and even harder to imagine giving it up. No one standing on a mountaintop wants the mountain flattened. But when we're wandering in the wilderness and immense, barren landscapes stretch out before us in every direction, we're able to see what the privileged location obscures. Suddenly we feel the rough places beneath our feet. We experience what it is like to struggle down twisty, crooked paths. We glimpse arrogance in the mountains and desolation in the valley, and we begin to dream. We begin to dream God's dream of a holy W-H-O-L-L-Y. God's dream of a holy reimagined landscape. A landscape so smooth and straight it enables all flesh to see the salvation of God. This Advent, we are invited into the wilderness. I indeed find myself there now. And what I can tell you, with my feet roughened and perhaps even a little bloodied, is there is a beauty so 
work of faith through that utter hope of a resurrection. And here she holds the wilderness, anything but wondering. It is filled with fellow companions who delight in the real you as much as you yourself. 